0: Find out more at ReadingTheBibleLands.com This episode of Live the Bible is brought to you by Walking the Bible Lands. If you haven't been to Israel yet or you'd like to relive your tour, these on-site videos are the next best thing to being there. Check it out at WalkingTheBibleLands.com Hello and welcome to Live the Bible. My name is Wayne Stiles, and this is the weekly podcast that helps you connect the Bible to your life. We're familiar with Charles Dickens' classic Christmas story, in which appears to Ebenezer Scrooge the spirit of Christmas past, as well as his future and present. Well, in this episode, we look at the Holy Spirit of Christmas past. The Spirit of God worked in the life of a young couple. And their amazing response offers us some great insight when we look at our future with fear. Think about the year that we've just come through. And this year has been a shock to all of us. What will next year hold? Whatever it is, today's message gives us what we need to know to face it with confidence. Well, I'll be back in a bit with more, but for now, let's hear this week's podcast. I don't have a joke, but I have a... Um... Maybe a rewrite, you might call it, of Clement, uh, Clement Clark Moore's Christmas classic. i to say that ten times real fast. Clement Clark Moore's Christmas classic. The night before Christmas, but I've called it the night after Christmas. So, here, here we go. It was the night after Christmas, when all through the house every creature was searching, both me and my spouse... The stockings, the drawers, we looked everywhere in hopes the receipts for our gifts would be there. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the house to see what was the matter, when what to my wandering eye should I see, but my neighbor was searching his trash on the street. More rapid than eagles he looked, but in vain, and he shouted his creditors, and he called them by name. On Visa, on MasterCard, on Amex, I'm appalled. I've thrown cash away, cash away, cash away, all. He had splurged once again, and I knew it too well, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. And then in a twinkling, I heard in my head a gentle reminder from what he had said. I too was as guilty from my head to my foot. My conscience was tarnished like ashes and soot. I focused this Christmas on presents and things, and not on my family, my friends, and my king. I spoke not a word, but went straight to work, Ran into my house. I'd been such a jerk. Right up to my wife, I came with a hug and kissed all my kids right there on the rug. The night after Christmas is better, said I. The never recalling in Christmas is Christ. The best of all gifts which to us has been given is Jesus, who died for our sins and is risen. I want you to turn, if you would, with me to Luke chapter 1. When you think about Christmas each year, we think about Mary and Joseph, we think about Christ, of course, we think about the wise men, though we really shouldn't think about them for a couple of years. We think about Herod the Great, who tried to kill baby Jesus. There are all these players in the Christmas story, but there's one person who is very involved and we hardly ever talk about. And that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Christmas past. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, we see how the Holy Spirit was involved in the very first Christmas, and we're going to lift some timeless truths from this text and compare these truths with some other places in Scripture and apply those truths to our life today. So let's begin. Let's read a couple of verses by way of introduction. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, Luke writes, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, He said to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. You ever notice when an angel shows up, he never knocks, just walks in. And the response all the way across the board throughout the scripture, whether it's good news or bad news, it's always fear. Terror might be a better reaction. Whether it's good news or bad news, they're always afraid. Mary was getting good news, but... Nevertheless, verse 29, we're told she was very perplexed at this statement, which is a nice way of saying she was afraid. And she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Well, I mentioned this week, this coming week is my birthday, and it's a big one. Uh, It's the big one. You know, from my perspective, it's the big one. The big Five O, 0 and I don't mean Hawaii. It's kind of encouraging, though. I, I, I looked at the uh, Stonebriar website for this class, and this class says, says that it's for people 50 and older. So I thought, well, that's great. Kathy and I can finally come to the class and belong here after being here eight years. But it's sort of strange, you know, hitting 50. I realize that unless I, I live to be as old as Ray Dubert here, uh, I've, I've run out of time for my midlife crisis. I Don't have time for it. I saw not long ago that the oldest living human is 117. And she credited her longevity to eating three raw eggs a day and staying single. <laughs> <laughs> so, most of us are never going to make it, if that's what we've got to do. But you come, come to think of it, we've actually got plenty of time for that midlife crisis. We really do. We live this life, you know, they say you only live once. The reality is, you live twice. You live twice. We've got our... 80, 90, 117 years here on this earth. But then as believers in Jesus Christ, we also have another thousand coming. Remember in Revelation 20, it says that we will rise again and that we will reign this very earth with Christ for a thousand years. Think about that. You, alive on this earth in a resurrected body, your body resurrected and perfected for 1,000 years. That means even if you live to be 100 years old in this life, you haven't lived one-tenth of what you'll live in the resurrection. So see, you got plenty of time for the midlife crisis. you got centuries to go. But by then, of course, we won't need one. The kingdom, that is our hope. And when we, um, we think about all the, the difficulties of this life, I just want to take a moment and tell you, just remind you of what I often remind myself. And that is that we place way too much hope in this life. As if it's all got to happen now. Every bit of fulfillment that we long for, that that emptiness that we feel in our heart, the unfulfillment of life. We think, I've I've got to figure out what it is that's going to fill that hole, and it's got to be in this life. The reality is, this life is only the first section of your life. Death is kind of like a speed bump, and the resurrection occurs, and you've got another thousand years on this earth without the the limitations and frustrations of your flesh and your sinful nature. So we have to think bigger than simply this life. Think the kingdom. So when Gabriel told Mary that her son would reign over the house of David, the throne of his father David, and his kingdom will have no end, that thousand year kingdom is what the angel gabriel was was uh, telling mary the kingdom the long awaited old testament kingdom that was promised to israel in fact it's the one that if we were to keep reading in luke and particularly if you read in matthew the kingdom of god that jesus promised and offered to israel was this kingdom this thousand year kingdom in which jesus will reign the world from the throne of david in Jerusalem. Mary understood that. We won't look at it, but if you look across the page or turn the page to verse 46 to 56, you read Mary's words where she brings the Old Testament covenants into the fulfillment of what she was experiencing. And you see, this young woman was very versed in the promises of God. And she knew that the future is what, um, is, what is where her hopes lay and that her son whose name would be Jesus, we're told, would be the way that that occurred. Well, we all know her response. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Literally, she asks, how can this be since I don't know a man? She she was engaged to Joseph, and back then the engagement was far more of a legal thing than it is now. You can get engaged and disengaged in our culture with no legal ramifications. But back then, they were married. The first leg of marriage, that is, this engagement or betrothal period, was a legal binding agreement. And yet they had not come together yet. They had not consummated their marriage yet. And so Mary is perplexed. She understood from Gabriel somehow that this child who would be born... Whom she would give birth to would not be the result of her marriage with joseph, and so she says i don 't understand how this is going to happen it's a logical question. How is this going to happen? The miracle is more aptly called the virgin conception. we refer to it as the virgin birth, but the birth was normal I mean it was it, that was not a miracle. it was the conception that was the miracle and all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and even in Galatians 4, you see the Apostle Paul saying it there, that Jesus was born of a woman, not of a man, born of Mary. Christ had no human father, but the agent of the conception was the Holy Spirit. And here, Dr. Luke gives us the most detailed account of how this conception occurred. Let's look at these, these words. Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Let's just pause there for a second. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Luke uses two words in this verse to describe Mary's conception by the Holy Spirit. The first is that he will come upon her. What does that mean, that that he will come upon her? Well, if you look at how this word is used at a couple of other places, it gives us some insight into it. Now, you don't need to turn there, but just maybe jot down, if you'd like, Isaiah 32, verse 15. Of course, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but it was also translated into Greek, and that is what most first-century Jews were familiar with, was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint uses the same word that Luke uses here in in uh, Luke 1 verse 35 Isaiah 32 verse 15 says this Until the spirit is poured upon us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field Isaiah is talking about the kingdom he's talking about the kingdom of God when the kingdom comes the spirit is going to indwell Israel during God's kingdom And now you're in Luke 1. Keep your finger there and turn to the right to Acts chapter 1. So keep your finger there in Luke 1 and turn to Acts chapter 1, which Luke also wrote. And he used the same word there to describe the Holy Spirit's activity. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 8. Jesus is speaking, and he says, You shall receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. That's the same root word that Luke used in in Luke chapter 1, as he did in Acts chapter 1. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary. And then Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, church. Jesus said that. Same author, Luke, using the same idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon. And we understand from Acts chapter 1 that when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, they were empowered to do what they couldn't have done otherwise. Same is true in your life, by the way. You're given a lot of impossible commands to do, you faced a lot of impossible situations. You can't do it in your own strength. It is impossible. But when the Holy Spirit is in your life, when he fills you and empowers you, you can do what you could not do on your own. It was true of the church as they proclaimed the gospel throughout the world. It's true, it was true of Mary as she would conceive. And it's true of you as you face this next week the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, the Spirit of God empowers you to do what you could not do in your own strength. So, turn back to Luke 1, and let's keep reading verse 35. Again, Luke 1, 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There's the second explanation. So not only will the Spirit come upon you, but the power of the Most High will overshadow you." What is this overshadowing? Well, again, we understand Scripture, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. We do what Dr. Howard Hendricks used to teach as correlation. That is, you compare one Scripture with another Scripture, and it gives you insight into what it means. Dr. Toussaint has always taught us that Colossians and Ephesians are sister epistles. You don't understand one, look at the other, and it gives insight into into what it means. So let's do that with this word here. What does it mean that the Most High will overshadow you? Again, the Septuagint, or the Old Testament translation of Exodus 40, verse 35. Let me just read Exodus 40, 35 to you. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. And the glory, or the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle." So after the tabernacle was set up, the glory of the Lord settled on the tabernacle like a cloud, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The cloud settled upon it. It's the same word as overshadowing it. And Luke actually uses this word. Turn from uh, Luke 1, now to look, look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, just a few chapters over. Luke uses this word. Luke chapter 9, verse 34. Luke 9, 34. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto a high mountain. His appearance changed. His clothes became white as as light. Verse 34 says, while he was saying this, a cloud formed... And began to overshadow them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So you get a sense of what the overshadowing is. The overshadowing, we see it in God's, the cloud overshadowed the tabernacle and his glory filled it. the the cloud that Peter, James, and John entered into on the Mount of Transfiguration enveloped them and the glory of God was present. That's the word that Luke used to describe what happened with Mary at, at the conception of Christ. The glory of God overshadowed her. And so you have this context in which this miracle occurred and the best the Bible can do is just sort of describe the conditions. We don't understand... You know how the how the chromosomes worked and and all that kathy and i have a friend who is a physician that just said look if jesus was fully human he had chromosomes what do god's chromosomes look like hey everybody wayne here this podcast has been going for months now and if you've not left a review you know your review could really help other busy people benefit from this content That's because one of the main ways that new listeners find the Live the Bible podcast is through listener reviews. So, would you take just a couple of minutes right now to leave a review? You can do so at waynestyles.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. And now, back to the message. Kathy and I have a friend who is a physician that just said, Look, if Jesus was fully human, he had chromosomes. What do God's chromosomes look like? You ever thought about that? I mean, something had to happen for her to to actually conceive. We don't know how the miracle happened, but Luke describes the setting. That the Holy Spirit came upon her and empowered her to do what she couldn't do otherwise. That the Holy Spirit, or the Most High, overshadowed her and the glory of God was present in that moment. Not only did Gabriel say how it was possible for a virgin to conceive, but he gave an indication of who it would be. The holy offspring, verse 35, Luke 1, The holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. You know, even though the Holy Spirit was the agent, the Holy Spirit is never called the Father of Christ. The Father is the Father and the Son is the Son. Because the incarnation, or Jesus becoming a man, didn't change what was true for eternity past. The Father was always the Father, the Son was always the Son, and the Holy Spirit was always the Holy Spirit. But the Father simply used the Holy Spirit to impregnate Mary. It was the means by which the Son of God became flesh. You think when Mary asked Gabriel how this miracle would come about, when humanly speaking it was impossible... And Gabriel said, okay, look, I'll explain. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. The Most High is going to, uh, or He's going to come upon you. The Most High is going to overshadow you. That's how it's going to happen. That Mary went, okay, great. I got it. Now, she's probably still as confused, but but she had a sense that this miracle was, was simply going to occur by the power of God, that it would be a miracle. It's not a result of her and Joseph. It would be a result of the hand of God, the Holy Spirit. Gabriel was asking Mary to believe the impossible. And humanly speaking, a virgin conceiving was impossible. But notice what the angel said to her in verse 36. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Humanly speaking, it's impossible for an elderly woman to conceive. It's even more impossible for a virgin to conceive. But Gabriel says, look, Elizabeth is proof God can do anything. Impossible situations. I don't know where the text finds you today, but I'm willing to guess because we live a life of faith that you're facing an impossible situation some way, somehow. You don't see how you're going to get around it. Maybe it's an issue of health. Maybe it's a child or a grandchild. Maybe it's a debilitating disease in the family. Maybe it's a financial situation, or maybe like Mary, like Mary and Joseph, they are facing a situation in which they know they are going to be misunderstood. The will of God was for Mary and Joseph to be in a situation that nobody knew the truth behind the scenes except Mary and Joseph and God. Everybody else saw Mary and Joseph and judged them incorrectly. Behind the scenes, the Lord knew the truth. In fact, behind the scenes, the Lord told Mary, you are highly favored, but not in everybody else's eyes. Mary understood that she would be ostracized, and she had the difficult um, converse would have to have the difficult conversation with Joseph, and we know from matthew 's Gospel how difficult that conversation was because Joseph considered divorcing Mary until the Lord intervened and communicated to Joseph exactly what was going on. it wasn 't an act of passion, it was an act of God that impregnated Mary in light of all these very real possibilities for them, Mary could have told the Lord. You know, thank you. I'm honored by that. But no thanks. Uh, I didn't ask for this favor. It's really more than I can deal with right now. Joseph and I have plans. We're we're getting married. We have dreams. And if we do what you're suggesting, then all of my plans and all of my dreams are going to change because we are going to be completely ostracized. In our culture. But that's not what she said, is it? That wasn't her reaction. Look at verse 38 at what this remarkable young woman said. Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I love this response because in her few words we see that Mary surrendered to what was God's will for her. Mary walked forward into a circumstance that everybody else would misunderstand, but she knew the truth, and she knew that God knew the truth, and that God knowing the truth was enough for her to move forward with confidence, even though most people who looked at her wouldn't understand it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where You are misunderstood, and everyone looks at you and makes a judgment that is inaccurate. But God knows the truth. That's where Mary was. And her words are fantastic. She placed her complete trust in the Father. Gabriel's announcement to Mary said that she was a favored one, back up in verse 28. And I've saved this for the last because... I love, I love the application that we can get from it. Greetings, favored one, Gabriel said. Literally, it's translated here as an adjective, favored one, but the original Greek term actually comes from a verb that means filled with grace. Greetings, one who is filled with grace. It's significant that this same verb appears only one other place in the entire New Testament. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And let's look at this one other instance of this word being used. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he, and here it is, freely bestowed on us in the beloved, meaning in Jesus. The words freely bestowed here come from the same verb as favored one. And and there's, there's two observations we can make here. In both cases, God gave grace to the recipient through no righteousness of the recipient. Mary was just a woman, a young woman. She wasn't perfect. She was a sinner. And you only have to read in her what's called the Magnificat, later in Luke chapter 1, where she says, I rejoice in God, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior. We need a Savior. Here in Ephesians, the same is true, that that God's grace is freely bestowed on us because of his love, not because of our righteousness. The second observation is the means of God's favor. In other words, because of Jesus, Mary was highly favored. Because of Jesus, you are highly favored. Says Paul in Ephesians 1, verse 6, He freely bestowed on us in the beloved in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that the body of the Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Luke tells us that Christians have the power through the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for Christ in the world and even in our daily lives to do what we couldn't not couldn't do otherwise. So in a very real way the Holy Spirit has come upon all Christians. It's something that we can celebrate here at Christmas time. Not simply the birth of Christ, but also the work of the Holy Spirit in that first Christmas and the work of the Holy Spirit in this Christmas in your life and in mine. I came across a couple of letters uh, that children wrote to Santa Claus. Some of them are pretty good. Here's a couple. This is written by Alfred. Alfred says, Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance. <laughs> Signed, Alfred. But I really like this one. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live at our house. There's Jeffrey. He is two. There's David. He is four. And there's Norman. He is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time I am Norman. <laughs> I love it. You know, Norman said it, but we all feel it. And we're not that bad. You know, honestly, we're pretty much good all the time. And we really need to be uh, rewarded for that, Come, just to be, to be honest. If we all wrote our letters to Santa Claus, it sounded a lot more like Norman, wouldn't it? We deserve it. But the reality is Jesus Christ became a man because we are imperfect. He was holy, and we are not holy. In fact, when Gabriel said that his name will be called Jesus, Matthew goes on to say that he's called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name, or Joshua, Jesus, Joshua, same name, Yeshua, means the Lord saves. He saves his people from their sins. That's you, and that's me. And that's why the first Christmas occurred. You're facing a future that is impossible. Certainly, you're facing a future that is unknown. You don't know what tomorrow holds, even though you have your plans. God can change it in a moment. But you know, our responsibility is to say like Mary, not to question it, not to say, "Lord, you're, you've done the wrong thing." But her her response should be our response. She said two things: "I am the Lord's servant." That's submission. It doesn't matter, Lord, what your will is for my life. Whatever it is, I am your servant. That's submission. And second, may it be to me as you have said. That's obedience, and that's faith. Submission and faith. Let's pray together. Our Father, the needs that we have brought into the room with us um, were not left out at the car. They've not been forgotten. We think about them all the time the burdens that we carry, the the worries that fill our anxious thoughts, whether it's family, whether it's future, whether it's health, whether it's finances, there's always something we have to trust you for, Lord. The same was true of Mary and Joseph. As you presented them with their future, which changed in a moment, the moment Gabriel showed up, Their entire lives were changed because of Christ, because of Jesus. It's true of us as well, isn't it, Lord? We are changed because of Christ. We are highly favored, says the Apostle Paul. And yet that favor doesn't remove the struggle. It simply gives us something to cling to in the midst of it. And so I pray for each person here, For that person, first of all, who may not know Jesus Christ, who is more like Norman, who thinks that they're really just pretty good, would you reveal to them not only their sin and how that sin separates them from you, but how Jesus came to die for their sins and that by faith in him that sin can be removed and they can have a relationship with you. And each of us, Father, who have placed our faith in Christ also come to you with uh, our requests, asking you to be gracious with us. But, But regardless of what tomorrow holds, we want to respond like Mary did. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, and we'll trust you and walk forward in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Live the Bible. What a wonderful example of how to live the Bible we see in the lives of Joseph and Mary. She said, May it be to me as you have said. Wow, what a great example for us to cling to the Father and to trust Him for the future that lays out before us this next year. Well, next week, we see how to face your future without fear. Because the year that's coming, whatever it is, is not a year we need to fear. We'll talk about why next week. Until then, Merry Christmas to you, and may God bless you as you live the Bible. My friend, I hope you will read the Bible in 2024, and I'd love for us to read it together, seeing the places where it all happened. Check it out now at readingthebiblelands.com.